Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Hello and welcome to the Rochecast, flagship podcast of Vox Media. I'm just taking it back, baby. Yeah, I love that. That's 2024. Yeah. Just open mutiny. <laughs> Bring it on, sports website. I'm your friend, Neil. Alex Kranz is here. I'm your friend, too. I just got to say it. My brother won a Michelin star. It's pretty good. And I didn't even want to try to to put that in neatly. I just want to brag. Yeah. So that was me bragging. And that's that's it. It's, it's here. It happened. The flagship podcast is being related to Michelin stars. Yeah. There we go. He's my brother, too. Yeah. He's no. all our brothers. He's everyone's family. Everyone everyone earned this. If you're him. listening to this show, you can tell people you know a Michelin star. Yeah, you can. The star, not the Just person. the star. Just the star. David Pierce is in San Francisco. We're like 85 seconds in, and I'm like, this is going to be a three and a half hour long Vergecast. <laughs> it's not going to make any sense to anyone, and this might be the end of the Vergecast. Yeah. Like this, for a lot of reasons, today might be the last Vergecast ever, <laughs> I think. It's going to be, it's going to be a day. <laughs> if you're going to go... Go with a bang. Alex Heath is here from Los Angeles. Hi, I'm really just an AI agent, but I'm here. (laughs) Um, I will say that some people in the YouTube comments openly wondered if I was interviewing an AI Barack Obama. They're like, that didn't happen. Oh, You got trolled by AI Barack Obama. And maybe I did. All right. So, David, you're in San Francisco. Yep. Because you were supposed to attend the launch of the Humane AI pin. That's correct. Which, when David says the energy of this podcast is a little... I would say that that is the thing that we are going to talk about. It is, it's a lot. Yes. There's a lot to unpack with the fact that David is in San Francisco and did not go to that event. And then earlier this week, Alex, you did attend the OpenAI Dev Day. That's right. Which is probably like a pivotal moment in the history of that company because they're they're headed towards app stores. So there's like quite a lot of news. And then yeah. we got a lightning round. But we should start with the fact that I'm using Samsung Dex. Well, first, I should say we should actually start with an apology, which is that (laughs) I made certain promises on this show two weeks ago to hold you to a standard of using Dex (laughs) on the podcast. And I did not do that. I abdicated my responsibility in bullying you into using this insane setup that you have going on. Uh, And on YouTube, there were several people who were very upset with us. And so um, I just want to preface whatever Neil is about to say as the 30 minutes before we started recording this podcast, were spent with Neelai and Liam, our producer, attempting to make this thing that is happening now work. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're listening, if you're in your car, 
close your eyes. Pull over, close your eyes. And I want you to just imagine <laughs> my setup. The Dell monitor, pretty nice Dell monitor, actually. We, st- we just stole it from a desk. Liam just wandered the office and took the nicest one he could find. It's connected to a USB-C hub, which is connected to a, a dead Bluetooth keyboard that is now charging by being plugged <laughs> into the hub. And a, a wired mouse and the tracking speed of this mouse is out of control. This computer is almost unusable because the tracking speed of this mouse is set at warp 20. It's out of control. And then that's all plugged into a Galaxy Fold 5 with a dbrand skin on it. It's our custom dbrand skin. You can go to store.theverge.com. Put that plug in there. And I'm, I'm in it, man. I'm just running multi-windows. Yeah. Uh, my dream, Alex doesn't know any of this. My dream, Alex, is that I would commute with nothing. No bag, no laptop. I would just have the fold. I would do phone stuff on the train. I would tell David that his humane leak was clunky just from my, my folding tablet. Then I would get to the office and I would use Dex. And this would be my computer at work. And Alex, I just want to, you to tell the people what you said immediately upon seeing this setup. Just that looks stupid? I, I actually don't, <laughs> I don't remember exactly what I said. That was but, it, yeah. Uh, yeah. The only thing that could possibly be stupider is like a screenless thing on your lapel, uh, I think, um, <laughs> that you're using, but you're not using it. So, I wish I had one, but we never will. Nope. That seems clear. All right, so I'm using Dex. We're going to get through the show notes with Dex. It's not unusable, I would say. Well, the monitor's gorgeous. <laughs> the <laughs> Dell display that we, again, just boosted from the working space in this office with, without asking anyone, uh, that's great. Um, I mean, it's basically just a Chromebook that sucks. Neilai has the exact energy of the person who brings an iMac to Starbucks and plugs it in. Like, that's, that's the vibe that I'm getting from <laughs> you in the studio right now. Yeah, you got to bring this whole setup to Starbucks. That's when we'll really appreciate it. All right, we're going to try to get through the rundown with this. So let's start with Humane. There's, we're going to take the first ad break in the show. My laptop is 100% coming back. <laughs> uh, I just want you all to know this. Also, just to remind everyone, I truly dislike using this phone because of the jolly scrolling. Nothing about this plan was a good idea. I like that I don't need my laptop open because the screen is so <laughs> large. I see the whole rundown. Yeah, this is a good case for having a big screen. Yeah. Not a folding phone that runs decks. Yeah. All right, let's start with Humane. There's a lot of drama with Humane right now. We do a lot of big, splashy launch features. David has written a billion of them. Mm-hmm. I have written half a billion of them. Mm-hmm. They're fun to do. I appreciate that people do them. It's great. They're, they're great. This company, just from the jump, has communicated about itself in the weirdest ways possible. And then they... I'm just going to say it, David. They invited you to California and then ghosted you. Mm-hmm. And you are not at the – they correct. disinvited you from the event, which is crazy. And I, we know a lot of other reporters and reviewers who are not there either. Yeah, this is a weird situation that I still am trying to wrap my head around. Because on the one hand, like I think a majority of people who work at Humane used to work at Apple. Um, so there's a real Apple like aesthetic – and ethos and way of thinking about the world. And Apple is a famously secretive company that has weird ideas about how to sort of bring people in on what it wants to do. And that's all fine and good, right? Like Apple Apple does things its own way and that works fine. But then also, Humane has been doing this thing where I think for 
eight months now, it has been sort of slowly trickling out information about the device. And one of the things, we're going to get into this, but one of the most fascinating things about this launch to me was that it's functionally the same thing that Imran Chowdhury, the co-founder, did on the TED stage like six months ago. Like the the features are the same, the device is the same, like my guy just launched it then. And it has really not changed all that much since then, which is really fascinating. But yeah, so there was supposed to be uh, a kind of launch thing ahead of the event and then that got changed to being after the event and then a bunch of people got disinvited from that. And what seems very clear is that Humane is not interested in product reviewers getting their hands on this thing at this time. Even the people they gave these sort of big splashy stories to, uh, like Wired had a good story, the Times had a big giant profile thing, the Wall Street Journal got a story ahead of time. They weren't allowed to photograph the thing. They weren't allowed to like talk that much about how to use it. No one is really trying this thing. It's a strange thing that is happening right now where it is both a launched product that they've been talking about for many months and also seems to be not close to being finished or ready for public consumption. It's very strange. Yeah, a lot of the features were just, they'd be like, they're coming soon. They're coming soon. Yeah, like recording video is coming in a software update. <laughs> it's like, that, that's a pretty basic thing to get right on your camera. So we have obviously talked a lot about Humane. David was invited to the event, got disinvited. And then last night, totally separate from all of that, and the other reviewers we know who didn't get to cover the thing, it was all leaked to us. Which is what happens. Mm -hmm. that's, that's life. And I'll take the leak every time. Uh, so we know a lot about this thing, and yep. there are no surprises. I think most of the leaks we got, all of the leaks we got, were dead-on accurate today. Yep. So the basics are pretty, they're understandable, and then what's not understandable is this device at all. So the basics are, it's a smartphone. <laughs> right? It's a Qualcomm 8-core yep. Qualcomm processor. They didn't say which one, but whatever. Uh, it's got a camera. It has a Personic speaker that creates a bubble of sound, mm. which no one has experienced. It has the laser projector, which we've seen. It needs wireless service, obviously. They've partnered with T-Mobile, which is really interesting. And it's not just T-Mobile. It's like they have their own wireless network, like an MVNO. So, you know, like Visible is Verizon. Yeah. They've got that, but it's humane. Mm -hmm. And so you get a phone number. You can get text. You're a green bubble. We should talk about that. Um you get data and you get cloud storage and you get access to OpenAI and Microsoft models. And then their slides say had Google and Slack mm -hmm. and importantly title. And it's weighs about the same as a tennis ball. Okay. Which, that that's the part that's really I'm hanging up on because like my mom gave me this beautiful pen earlier this year that also weighs about the same as a tennis ball. And I'm like, oh I want to wear this really pretty pen. It's this big gold pen. It's cool. And I'm like, I want to wear it. I can't wear it with anything because fabrics, <laughs> like, just crumple under it. And you can see it. What's wild is you can see it in the video. You can see it in the New York Times piece, too, where it's just like the the fabric around the pin is just crumpling around the weight of the pin. And I'm like, okay, so this won't work with a T-shirt because it's going to drag the whole side down. Like, you can watch him, and he's wearing a shirt. His whole side, like, one side of the collar is dragging down from this thing. I'm yeah. like, why would you? No. Like, who wants that? <laughs> I don't want that. Well, you haven't gotten to the battery boosters yet. Oh, sorry, sorry. I think it's it's a tennis ball without the batteries. <laughs> and so I would say a huge part of the humane story is what you might call self-seriousness. There are other words you could use. Mm. But self-seriousness, I think, really captures it. Because I think they're sincere. 
Yes. And I think that means they're blinded by some of the inherent absurdities of the product. And I'll just give you this example, which has made me giggle all day. And this is very clever. Again, I think they're sincere. I think they came up with a solution that's very clever. The thing obviously chews through battery. Yeah. Because it's small. And it has an always-on wireless connection. And it's running GPT. And it's got to run the mics. And it has a laser projector in it. So instead of making it big, they're doing an inductive battery that is the clip. Yeah. So the back of the magnetized clip contains the battery or more battery. So And you can swap them. So the, the computer part has a battery in it, and then the back of the thing is called a battery booster. And you can hot swap them because the computer part has a battery. Yeah. This is very clever. I don't want to take one ounce. If you were to solve this problem, this is very clever. They're doing this cool inductive thing. Many questions. If the fabric is really thick, does that lower the transfer power? Like all this stuff. But whatever. It's very clever. Humane, I, I just watch this video. They're like, this is a perpetual power system. <laughs> and it's like, my guys, it's a battery. <laughs> like, is my anchor USB-C battery pack a perpetual power system? Yeah. And I think the answer is yes. The Apple MagSafe battery attachment is a perpetual battery. Like, what are we doing? Like, the, the over-talking of the product is out of control. Well, didn't David say that most of the people at Humane used to work at Apple? So doesn't that explain the branding? Yeah. It kind of reminded me of... A lot of times you'll you'll get a really good writer out there in the world, like writing like a TV show. And they go and they write this really cool TV show. And you're like, oh, man, I wish they ran that show. That would be so cool. Instead of just being like a writer, I want them to run it. And then they go and they run it. And no one's there to say, hey, that's a bad idea. And so you just get unfiltered writer. And it's that's the same. It felt the in same fact, way. In fact, Alex, I would suggest that the exact opposite happened. Oh, you th- with think, Humane. Okay. You think these are the bad writers? No, I think that, I mean, uh, the, Imran and, and Bethany, the two leaders of the company, worked at Apple. They, they have a long history. They've built some amazing things. Their names are on some very important technologies. Uh-huh. Let me just read you this section from uh-huh. the, the Times profile, which I encourage everyone to read. And again, I began. The I mean, podcast I can already see it by saying we have written a lot of access-based launch features. I love them. I love doing them. I love reading them. They're they're some of the most fun things you can do. I have no qualms against it, but. You add the self-seriousness of humane to the institutional self-seriousness of the times, and it's it's gold. Like, every line of this is gold. So when you're like the writer, no one told them to stop. In fact, the exact opposite happened. A Buddhist monk named Brother Spirit led them to humane. Mr. Chowdhury and Ms. Bongiorno had developed concepts for two AI products, a women's health device and the pin. Mm. Brother Spirit? Mm-hmm whom they had met through their acupuncturist, (laughs) recommended that they share these ideas with his friend, Mark Benioff, (laughs) the founder of Salesforce. Sitting beneath a palm tree on a cliff above the ocean at Mr. Benioff's Hawaiian home, they explained both devices. This one, Mr. Benioff said, pointing at the pin, as dolphins breached the surf below, (laughs) is huge. It's going to be a massive company, he said. He was right about one thing. It is huge. I just want to know if the Dolphins thing passed the Times fact check. (laughs) Do you have three sources on the Dolphins? Uh, Incredible. Uh, The best part about that whole thing, by the way, is that Benioff owns Time magazine. 
and then Time Magazine just like immediately named the AI pin best invention of 2023, like before it had ever been announced. Yeah. It's good. Uh, yeah. All that's great. That's what I mean by self-seriousness. Like maybe this thing is really cool. Maybe having a voice assistant that talks to ChatGPT is a really good idea. Mm. It's $700. It costs $24 a month. I don't know about that. I, I think the the like very basic thing, like if you describe it the way you just described it, which is a a voice assistant for talking to Chat GPT, I think that is like a real thing that a lot of people are going to have at some point in the very near future. That makes perfect sense to me. Like I have talked to a lot of people who think that there is a really interesting set of hardware to be made around some of these AI things, right? We heard about Sam Altman and Johnny Ive working on some of this stuff together, like how do you access these language models from an interface is super interesting. What this feels like to me is like, do you remember that period of Samsung where they never said no to anything? That it was like any engineer and product manager who was like, I have an idea about how something should work and where a button should go. <laughs> they just said yes. So there were 40,000 ways to do everything and none of it actually made any sort of coherent sense. That's what this seems like to me is they like built a bunch of tech demos and then we're just like, yes, <laughs> this is it. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's yes to anything but a screen, right? Right. Because there's one really easy way to interact with AI chatbots, and it's the chat GPT app on the iPhone. You can just get it. Yeah, which is, it works pretty well. Also has really good voice assistance. And I was going to say, now. Alex, you and I have both used the Ray-Bans yes. from, from, from Meta. I, I like them. I was wearing them on the way to work today. They were great. I infinitely prefer that to this. What about you? Um, As a way for accessing voice. For accessing voice, it helps to have something that can sit on your body that isn't dependent on the clothes you wear, I would say. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, speaking of Sam Altman, uh, Neelai, what did Sam Altman say about Humane in that Times piece? <laughs> the Times piece is so good. Um, so Sam Altman is a, is a large investor in Humane. Um, and he and didn't seemingly see... every other AI thing happening right, right now. Like anybody who's making a hardware, it's like, yep, Sam's there. Right. But yeah, so I, I was talking to our friend Joanna Stern at the Journal. Um, she also did not get to interact with the AI pin. But when I say like they didn't want reviewers there, people who are going to ask technical questions about how things work, they got reporters there. They, they, and very good reporters went to this. I don't mean yeah. to, it's just a different skill set, a different mindset, whatever. No reviewers have seen this thing. Tech reporters have seen it, and they wrote, that's great. And many newsrooms have a split between news and reviews. We kind of don't. It's where a tech publication is different. But Joanna didn't get to go and see it. And so she and I were just talking about all of this, and she pointed out that Sam Altman, an investor in Humane, was on stage with her at her conference uh, last month. And he, she asked him if he was going to make a phone. And he said, no, phones are great. I, there's no point in competing with phone. And then there's these rumors that he's working with Johnny Ive. And he said, I, you know, like demurred. And he said, I think there's something great to do in AI hardware, but I don't know what it is yet. <laughs> Which is like a month ago. A month. Uh, <laughs> do you think it's the company you invested in? Maybe. More maybe he's just taking shots. And then today in the Times, he's an investor, so the Times talked to him. Sam, I would say, waffled. No guarantee of success. That will be up to customers to decide. Maybe it's a bridge too far, or maybe people are like, this is better than my phone. And then he says to the Times, plenty of technology It looks like a sure bet ends up selling for 90% off at Best Buy, <laughs> which Aww. is brutal. brutal. The Zune. <laughs> Seriously, the Zune look like a sure bet? <laughs> we'll, we'll talk more about this later, but I was with Sam 
on Monday at OpenAI, he talked about consumer hardware. He didn't mention Humane. And this was days ahead of the public. Everyone knew Humane was about to launch. He didn't acknowledge it, but he got asked about this. We can talk more about this later. But yeah, there is this very interesting pressure happening where people are talking about how can OpenAI intersect with a consumer device. And Sam does not seem to think Humane is that Because <laughs> he's invested in this and also like there was a, a necklace too, like an AI-powered necklace. Yeah. And Re- – It's like the Rewinder? Rewind? Yeah, the Rewind something. Yeah, yeah. the Rewind pendant uh, it's called. Yeah. All of this is great. And what they're all trying to run away from is the phone. Yeah. Because the second you put a screen on it, this, you've made a little phone. And then once you've made a little phone, and we've seen this with every other little phone, you've got to have Instagram. You've – Right, bank apps have to be there. All the stuff that people expect from phones just come for the package. You have to deal with whatever Epic and Google are doing in their trial this week. Right. You, you can't. Like, it's too hard. The mountain is too high to climb. So you take the screen off it, and you're like, and again, in the time space and in all of the marketing for the pin, they're like, this is to solve your relationship with your phone. And they are very clear that you should not need a phone, right, that you're seven hundred dollars. That's the cost of a phone. Twenty four dollars a month. That's the cost of a data plan. If you've got this and your phone in your pocket, you're doing something wrong. They sent mixed messages there because in the New York Times piece, they end it with saying, "Oh, we're, we're still using our phones. We just <laughs> we use them differently now, but we're still using them." I mean, I guess you you are also still using a phone. Just so now. they did answer some questions. Uh, in a presentation today that I've had for a long time. Mm-hmm. How does it know your contacts if you want to make a call? Where do your photos go? All this stuff. Uh, when you set up, when you go to order one, mm-hmm. you uh, import all your contacts, and then it arrives with your contacts preloaded. This is this is what they want you to do. Uh, then, then there's a website called Humane Center where your photos are and your videos are. Well, your videos, when video recording is released, they haven't. What happens if I meet someone and I add their contact? How do I do that? How does that then get on the pin? Chest bump. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. These are, all, these are all questions that like phones have solved really well. And I think this is why when people ask Altman about it, he knows that whatever AI device arrives is going to sit right next to your phone. Yeah. And also, what is a phone? This thing comes with a phone number. It makes calls. It is a phone. <laughs> what is a it phone? It is a phone. It's a screenless phone. They made a screenless phone. So let's stop calling it anything else but that. That's fair. I don't think the idea that you have to have this and your phone is like a huge strike against Humane. I think we're, we're in this phase now where I think every gadget maker is out there trying to sort of disintermediate the phone with the recognition that like you're going to keep having your phone in your pocket. What can we give you that is better and faster. And like, it's certainly true that if you want to ask ChatGPT a question, the pin is going to be a faster way to do it than your phone. And that's meaningful. That's real. You don't have to fish a thing out of your pocket. You don't have to unlock a thing. You don't have to open an app. Like, that's a better system. Uh, right right until that thing is built into your AirPods. It already is. Mm-hmm. You can already, with yeah. shortcuts on iOS, you can already ask ChatGPT things through your AirPods. No. Alex, the minute a sentence starts with shortcuts on iOS, like, I'm out. Sure. Like, oh, so so that's harder for you than buying an $800 pin that you have to sync on the web and pay a monthly? No, Alex, you can listen to <laughs> okay. title on it. <laughs> I forgot oh, about God. title. Yeah, the personic speakers. But no, but I think the the problem with a thing like this and a problem with a lot of these LLMs is they don't do 
anything. They're really good, like, information retrieval systems, and they're useful for generating text and images. But, like, I, I want to... I want to add to my contacts. That is not a thing ChatGPT is capable of. And Humane is going to try to be the platform for all of that in the same way that OpenAI is trying to be the platform for that. The, like, the real race underlying all of this is to be the AI app store. Like that is, that is the fight here. And everybody wants to do it. And until someone wins that battle, the list of things you can actually do by interacting with an LLM is pretty small. We're going to get that because that's the open AI story, right? Yes, but D David, what David is hitting on is very important here, which is that, you know, you're saying ChatGPT is a good information retrieval system. I would argue that it's not. And the problem with this humane product is that its core tech, which is like talk to open AI, guess what? ChatGPT makes shit up all the time. Like, <laughs> and they know this. And Sam talked about this with me and other reporters on Monday, and he doesn't think this problem will be solved for like three years. So this At is a, so this is a device you're buying where the primary interface information retrieval system, the people who designed it know that it has still a huge accuracy problem. I was using ChatGPT to try to do some earnings coverage. It just made the financials up for the company. I was. <laughs> so, so imagine walking around and this is your only device on you and you ask it something and it's like, yeah, take a left to go here and you end up like walking into oncoming traffic, right? So this raises another important point, which is, we still don't know how it works. Like, even in all the coverage you can read and in their demos, we don't know. Like, is it OpenAI underneath it? In the press release, it just says Microsoft and OpenAI models. Doesn't say which ones. They said in a couple of the stories that it's it's ChatGPT primarily. So I think I think we can fairly safely assume it's They're a using the API. interface. They're using OpenAI's API. Yeah. Right. But then the there's the Google logo sitting right in their press release, and I don't know why. Then they claim they have their own platform called MyAI. Um, maybe it is all just ChatGPT. And it's all cloud-based, right? Yeah, which I think is also why it burns through batteries. Yeah, it, well, it burns through batteries, and it also, that just cuts off a huge user base. There's a ton of people who can't have ready access to the cloud all the time, right? Like, internet is inconsistent. They weren't going to buy yeah, it anyway. You think the people in rural America are... Are you saying they were not watching the <laughs> Caperni show to on. see it? Like, oh my God. It's, it's running on the T-Mobile network. Those yeah. people were already left out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, it's just like even that stuff, right? It, it, primarily the ChatGPT API. That's what we think it is. But we don't know. No one's actually used it to figure out its limits. No one's actually used it to figure out if when you ask it for directions, it falls back to Google Maps or something. like, Or Bing Maps or whatever acquisition like Microsoft made through the Nokia deal 500 years ago that they forgot about that still runs and somehow makes $5 million, which is the true story of many Microsoft acquisitions. Um, and because it doesn't have a screen, you, the user, will never know. Like You will ask it a question and it can never tell you how it arrived at the answer, which has been a problem with voice assistants in general for a very long time. It could list sources, but still, like, I don't, we'll talk more about this later, I don't trust ChatGPT for, like, information because it hallucinates. And so yeah. if you're thinking, date like, tactically, this is my new phone, this is how I'm going to interact with the internet, the main way that you're doing that, you cannot inherently trust what is being said back to you. How is that a replacement for the devices we already have? It doesn't make sense. Yeah, there's this interesting moment in the the demo video that they put out, which everyone should watch. It's it's wild. Neil's suggestion to me was to watch it at 2x speed, at which it seems like normal speed, which is good advice. But there's this one moment in it 
where he holds up, I think, a book to the pin uh, and says, how much does this cost online? He's he's like demonstrating the shopping features. And he's like, how much does this cost online? And it responds, it costs $28 online. And he says, buy it. And that's the end of the demo. And it's like, I have a million <laughs> questions between here and there. Like, there's only one price on the whole internet for this thing? Where did that price come from? Where am I buying it from? How fast is it going to ship? Where's it going to ship? Which credit card did it use? Like, Amazon has gone through this problem where if you just say to your Echo speaker, buy toilet paper, it turns out that actually takes you through a flow that you don't understand and can go wrong in a thousand ways and people don't do it as a result. And the idea that humane is going for is to abstract even more of that away and to just say, all you have to do is just describe to this thing what you want to accomplish in the world and it will do it for you. And I think that's a super interesting and completely yeah. impossible yeah, the, thesis. Um, the, the price online is $28. It's like, is it Amazon? Do you think Amazon is the, the only store? Is who it knows? eBay? Like, right. Who knows? Maybe it's an artist. And it's like, it, by doing this, am I signing up for whoever Humane has decided to like right. rev share partner with in order to be able to do this? Should I be able to choose? And if, at that point, if I'm choosing, what are we accomplishing by abstracting all of this away? There's just no version of this that feels good in the way that you kind of want yeah. it. And to by the way, good. the book is an easy example in the sort of medium scheme of things. Because the book has a barcode yeah, and maybe it it's a bar scanning code. the barcode. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it can see the title. Yeah. And it, right, there's structured data yeah. on and around the book. There's another part of that demo where he just holds up a handful of almonds and he says, How many, how much protein is in these almonds? And it just tells him it's 15 grams. Mm. And it's like, did it count the almonds? And I pointed out. I must be counting the almonds. And Liam said, well, technically, you'd want to weigh the almonds. <laughs> right? Because you're inside of that. Chat GPT is just making up uh, grams per almond yes. average right. and then spitting out a number amount of protein. Using a dubiously uh, data-collected source that could be accurate or could not be accurate yeah, and you would not know. Yeah. And it's yeah. like right. all you've made is like a very complicated lose it and you don't know if it's counting the almonds accurately. <laughs> That's weird. Yeah, it's I mean, not, <laughs> I mean, it's not good. There's no structured data about the almonds. There are, a mi I mean, there are a million holes you can poke in this thing, and I think we're doing that appropriately. I think the direction Humane is trying to go here is really interesting, and I want to have competing visions for where computing is going in the world because everyone else, Meta, et cetera, Apple, they think the future of computing is more visuals in your eyes, right? Like literally yeah, yeah. augmenting over the world. And Humane is saying, no, we think actually computing should be recessed more into the background and you should interact through voice. And it's more of that Spike Jones her future. And I think those different directions need to exist. People need to be building those different directions. It just feels very early. This feels like general magic or Magic Leap, you know, there's a ton of examples of companies that were just too early to the tech. And I think this is the case here. No, I'll make a I'll make a big distinction between those things because we oh, now we're old and we know a bunch of external magic people. They were very sincere. Tony Fidel, friend of the show, he was part of the general magic story. He financed the documentary, a self serving documentary, but you will because they all come out as heroes, like in the end. Um, but it's it's a fun watch, and I encourage you to go watch the general magic documentary. They were nerds, like huge nerds, and they did not think they were cool, and they thought they were inventing the future. Fine. But at the end of the day, they were like silly nerds. 
Mm-hmm. They didn't put their pin on like fashion models in Paris fashion. Yeah, they week. weren't. None of that stuff yeah. was happening. No Caprati right? show. Uh, Magic Leap, huge nerds, obviously, took themselves so seriously. Well, they blew Beyonce away. Right. <laughs> they had other people <laughs> down there for demos. Uh, I think David got a demo once. Didn't you go down there at some point, David? Um, I got a demo. It wasn't, I didn't get the full treatment, but I did get to try it at one point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they said things like, we're hacking the GPU of the mind, which is right. inc- it's just an incredible phrase. <laughs> they promised to reinvent uh, all of entertainment, mm-hmm. yeah. all of technology. That, like this thing was – they got so far ahead of the technology with the hype and the seriousness that there was no way the product could have lived up to their own ideas. General Magic was early, mm-hmm. but they weren't – they knew that there was a thing that they were trying to get to that was far away from where they were, and they were honest about it. I think and if that's the spectrum of companies that are too early, like sincere nerds trying to build the future and they're aware of their limitations and kind of silly and honest about it, and we've hyped ourselves so much that nothing we invent can meet the standard, like Humane is beyond that. You think <laughs> like, it's beyond magically? I think it's beyond magically. Wow. But it actually is. Because they, they're out there. They have their employees – ex-Apple people in the press today saying they they had retired from Apple and they joined Humane because they were disgusted with having invented the iPhone and destroyed society. And Humane is their chance to like reset. It's like, you guys, I don't even know if it's counting the almonds. You know, it's like, what bookstore? You know, it's like, that's crazy. And if you're, if you're positioning is that this will rescue us from the phone, but you've made a phone? <laughs> no, nothing. There's there's no product that can fill the hole that they are d- drawing, right? And that is the issue, I think, with the, the product itself in many big ways, but also, like, how they're putting it out into market. But this is also, this is just the world we live in now. I mean, I think about, like, Carl Pay and nothing. Like, he's running around being like, there are no interesting consumer electronics companies left. And it's like, well, that <laughs> just isn't true. But you have to, like, you have to tell this big, grand story about yourself and how you're changing the world. And it's like, we still live in the we're making the world a better place thing, which you would think Silicon Valley would have killed, like, by just being on that TV show. But it didn't. And so I think, honestly, like, the the single worst thing that Apple has done to tech culture is convince everybody that this is the right way to talk about your products. That everything has to be finished, everything has to appear as if it was inevitable and just sort of rose out of the <laughs> ground, this perfect finished product. That we have solved every problem that has ever existed in the world. And there are no companies anymore who are making things, being like, we made this, we don't know if it's any good, do you want it? Ironically, OpenAI is probably the closest thing to that right now. Yeah. But it's it's just not it's just not how this works anymore. And the playbook worked so well for Apple that if you're a company who raised a lot of money and would like to make a lot of money, you just follow the Apple playbook. And I think the thing we've learned over and over is that it doesn't work for anybody other than Apple. I don't think this is fair because there are a lot of interesting consumer tech companies that aren't doing this. They're not based in Silicon Valley. They're not they're not in this like weird investor ecosystem, right? Where where they're, 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 there's almost this demand from their investors to ship something and to change the world at the same time, right? Like there's plenty of weird tablets in China. China's doing a lot of cool consumer tech gadgets and not promising to change the world with their Steam Deck knockoff. It would be amazing if Apple was like, we made these gamer lights. Yeah. They're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> they're just cool. Yeah. 
they're never going to do that. But if you go back to, like, the launch of the original iPhone, Steve Jobs, he didn't say it's going to change the world. He was like, here are three things it can do well, at once. No. He did start with, today Apple reinvents the phone. But that's not – but, but that's with different. With his arms outstretched. I, I would argue that's different than what Humane's doing, than what Magic Leap did, which is, like, it's the hubris, right? And Apple has hubris on – you know, they have tons of it. And Steve Jobs was the king of hubris. But, like, yeah. you go back to that original iPhone, there was, like, an almost weird humility with the hubris, right? Where it was, like, we actually are just focusing on what it does. And it, what it did was such an aha moment where everybody in the room was, like, oh, my God, these three things together in a mobile form factor, yes. You didn't have to over-explain it. Whereas, like, Humane – they they can't explain it like because it's it's incomprehensible there's it's a it's an idea in search of a product right and and i think that was that's the key difference here between like the early apple where apple is now and humane i think so here's a question i have for you alex um just thinking about the the cycle open ai is in yeah brother spirit the buddhist monk introduced them to mark benioff in <laughs> 2018 the connection by the way made through their acupuncturist very, this is all very important detail. 2018, that's mm-hmm. a long time ago yeah. to, to start working on this pin. OpenAI was nowhere in 2018, right? The, the first glimmers of the thing were happening. They were a research project. Yeah, they were, they, were, they were maybe 60 people at that point. Yeah. And they were still kind of focused on not being a commercial company. So if you're making this product in 2018 and you have this vision – what is the technology that you're basing this on? What have they been working on? Oh, oh, I, I know what, what happened. Right? There's there's a pivot that's uh, that's uh, contained in the story of this product where they were like, you're going to talk to ChatGPT, and that's the thing that's going to sell it, right? Because that's what we're talking about today. In 2018, you could not begin work on that product. Well, ChatGPT didn't exist. ChatGPT right, didn't ex- I mean. it barely existed a year ago. Yeah. This was totally going to be like an Android product until – OpenAI popped off, right? Like that—that that has to have been what happened. They were—they were building their own little Android dumb, like dumb phone, because it's effectively a dumb phone, right? And and then OpenAI popped off, and they were like, "Oh, finally, we have something cool to attach this to, <laughs> to ship it." So we're not just like we did a phone, but it's a pin and not really a good phone. Yeah, I don't know. There's just I'm I'm like thinking about this chronology, and it's like in 2018 when you set off to make this product, you cannot assume that there will be an LLM explosion in mid-2023 No, but you could that assume, recontextualizes this whole product. But you could assume Google was doing—Google was doing a lot at that point, right? They were doing a lot about visual identity, like like being able to visually ID things with a camera. They were doing a lot about being able to just talk and, and have those natural conversations with Google Assistant. Like, all of that was happening in 2018. So I, I, that's why I'm, I'm fully convinced— that at some point we're going to find out that this was originally an Android product. I mean, it's an Android product now. Like the thing, the thing runs Android. Uh, I I think you're exactly right. I think if you if you rewind five years, they're looking at voice assistants and mm-hmm. Google Lens and some of these other like what can we do without putting a screen and a bunch of apps on your smartphone, which in the abstract, like. Heath has been saying is a really interesting and valuable question. Like this is stuff we yeah. should be talking about because the idea that the like platonic ideal of how we interact with technology is like a grid of icons on a screen is just not true. And we we should be exploring all these things. But I do think it's very clear that at some point along the way, they went from we're going to have to cobble together a bunch of different things and probably invent a bunch of technology ourselves to just this is now we are an interface company on top of 
ChatGPT, which is functionally what this is. This is a this is a it's a revolutionary input device on par with the <laughs> with the keyboard and mouse uh, for ChatGPT. Like that's what they're trying to build. They they make a big song and dance about all the other stuff they can do, but this is functionally a way to input things to ChatGPT. That is what this device exists to do. It's a real digital crown moment. <laughs> you know, any minute Apple's gonna do a partnership with one of these companies because they can't build it by themselves because of all the privacy reasons. And they will say, if you want to use ChatGPT, your Apple Watch can do it. And that will be the end of the AI pin. Oh, I will take yeah. the opposite side of that bet. I'll, yeah. I'll bet money that they will not. Yeah, because because of, uh, because of the privacy reason you cited, they will not do this as an external partnership. No, but we're watching this in the trial right now where Tim Cook and Sundar Pichai are in meetings discussing their search deal. Mm-hmm. And Apple's like, your services can begin where our limitations end. Mm-hmm. So you can see well, they could say. Well, that, you, there's an important fact there, which is that Google is paying Apple on the order of $20 billion a year. So, yes, if someone is paying you, you know, yeah. 20% of your profit margin, yeah, uh, sure, you can have deep partnerships. You don't think uh, OpenAI and Microsoft are going <laughs> to throw that money down? Like, that's what I mean. The second Apple gets over it, and there's a few ways for them to get over it. They can invent a privacy-focused LLM, mm-hmm. very hard, inside your values. You could take the money. <laughs> it's true. Or you can do uh, shortcuts with David's favorite. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, love shortcuts. But like all I'm saying is there's a big action button on the side of my watch. And there's a lot of different ways for that thing to trigger talk to chat GPT. Yeah. Right. There's there's many methods yeah. by which that button can can do the thing. And at that moment, the value of $700 plus another $24 of service fees a month like, begins to slide. If I hold my phone just right, I can do the shortcuts method with ChatGPT and the Ray-Bans. Yeah. Like, and, it, and they're adding—so, Kranz, they're adding uh, early next year. Uh, Zuckerberg was talking to me about this when I interviewed him ahead of Connect. They're going to do a software update for the Ray-Bans where it's visual recognition. So in the interview, he was like, you'll just look at the camera and say, what is that camera? Where can I buy it? And he didn't say buy it. He said, where can I buy it? And because So, so uh, that's, that's a much more, I think, compelling because it's on you, right? Uh, and cheaper— and cheaper, and, no subscription. And like, if yeah. you go, if you go to the beach, you don't have to worry about right. where you're going to pin it. And it turns out, <laughs> what kind of shots you're your head get. is on you all the time. Uh, Who knew? And you can have stuff on your head all the time, no matter what you're wearing. It's actually a really cool human feature. Okay, this brings me to the last thing I want to talk about in this sequence, which is a graph that's in my head at all times. Oh, is there a yeah. y-axis? There's a y, and I'm, I'm going to label the graph for you. So pull over in your car, and I want you to imagine x and y axis. Okay. And I've worked this out because I was on threads last night and people really helped me figure this out. This is the formula of wearable product success. Mm, mm, yeah, I, I saw this on threads. Okay, so it's X and Y axis. It doesn't matter which side's which. The Y axis, let's call it, okay. is amount I have to care about this shit. Right. Times mm-hmm. face multiple. Which is what's a, what's up a face to the, Is it on my face? Okay. Oh, okay, okay. And is it a VR headset? So, like, is it on my face and it's like a cool pair of sunglasses, low face multiple? Mm-mm. Is it on my face and it's the Meta Quest Pro? High. Enormous face multiple. Yeah. If it's not on your face, on your wrist, no face multiple. Okay. Mm. Got me? Got it. See ya. Okay. So, that's like, that's just one variable. Yeah. It's either, it's, and you got to decide for yourself in the glasses. How much do I have to care about it is, is this a tiny little computer? Mm hmm. 
do I got a software update, plug it into battery, charge it? Does it beep? It's computer stuff. Yeah. And you got to decide. Is it weird to get the photos off it? Yeah. All in the first factor. Yeah. So fiddliness times is it face. <laughs> That's one axis. Okay. And then the X axis is how useful is it? Okay. Okay. So if X is greater than or equal to Y, so there's a line at 45 degrees. Oh, God. Then it's, it's good. Mm-hmm. And if it's lower, you're duped. So like regular glasses, right? Alex, you're wearing some glasses? Yeah. You got to think about them never. So right. Low number times on your face, low number because you have cool glasses. Value, very high. So you're like historic success. Oh, right? okay. See, I didn't do well at math in school, but I, I think I'm tracking <laughs> with you. You see what I'm saying? No, Neli also dis- is describing a graph that has like six or seven <laughs> no, no, different no. axes. It's just one. So it's just two numbers. I wouldn't, there's algebra There's is algebra. fiddly involved. bullshit greater than or less than how useful is this? I'm going to make a GPT for this where you can just... <laughs> and I'm just saying the only real variable here is face. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's, it's really just face. Is it on your face and then it's got to be super valuable? Right. Right. right? Uh, Apple Watch, a lot of fiddly bits at the beginning, low value. Uh, not on your face. Not on your face, but it still didn't do a lot at the beginning. Mm-hmm. You could like send flirty heartbeats to people who maybe didn't want them, right? <laughs> and they figured it out and they brought it up above the curve. And now it's actually kind of less fiddly, too. Yeah. Success. Okay. MetaQuest Pro. Fiddliest product in the world. Gigantic face multiple. No value. No value. Not a success. They won't Mm. even talk about it anymore. Mm. You see what I'm saying? So humane AI pin. Very fiddly. Mm -hmm. No face multiple. Mm -hmm. Unclear value. Big question mark. Yeah. Vision Pro. Enormous face multiple on the order of they put another face on your face. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Huge problem there. Very fiddly, we think. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps not because it's kind of standalone. Unclear fiddliness. Unclear value. X. It's an X. The value is X. Who knows? I'm just telling you this works every time. Wow. Someone's going to animate this graph and it's going to be amazing. But I promise you, if you just work this out for any product, you get there. So the, the meta glasses. Mm-hmm. People like them, right? Yeah. So you do it. They look cool. Low face multiple. Mm-hmm. Eh, fiddly. Liam complimented mine today before he saw the, the, the lenses. Before he knew. Yeah. Uh, so medium face multiple because people are like, oh, you've been, you've been watching me, you creep. That's yeah. a problem. <laughs> uh, but they look cool. Yeah. And then they're fun. Right. Because they have good music. They've got great call mics. You should watch that video with Becca. They're useful. They're useful. Right on the line of success. Okay, yeah. I my challenge to any Vergecast listener right now who's playing with ChatGPT's GPT builder is to make a <laughs> GPT based on what Neli just said, send it to us, and it's going to be amazing. Fiddliness times face multiple has to be less than or equal to how useful is it? What is this bot called? Neli's Neli's gadget or Neli's yeah wearable value? It needs a good name. Indicator. Yeah. This is a horrible name. The theory of uh, wearable bullshit. <laughs> Okay, there we go. That's the episode title. Yeah, it needs a name. I'm just telling you, I've been working this out on the show forever, and last night it finally clicked when I looked at the humane pin, where I was like, oh, it's not on your face. So that changes the whole equation. Mm -hmm. But then it is all the other things that it is. I was disgusted by my work on the iPhone. So instead I made a little laser projector that you have to look at your hand. There's no Instagram. You can't do Instagram with lasers. Just didn't work. Uh, this thing is real silly. They should have let us. They should have let us and other reviewers actually into it, and they should have 
been less self-serious about it, is what I'll say. I'm excited to play with one. I think we're all excited about new gadgets all the time. I want to see how the speakers work. I want to— The Personic speaker. Yeah, I want to see—I want you and I both to have one and see if we can hear each other's. That's going to be the worst episode of the show The ever. worst episode. Just I'm two so people sorry. listening to a title four feet apart. <laughs> I mean, I will say, uh, again, to go back to the meta things on that one, like I've seen a bunch of people be like, oh, the Personic speaker. That's This is the thing that the smart glasses have been doing for a while. This right. like personal directed audio that you can hear and other people don't is like relatively proven technology. The Ray-Bans do that. Yeah. yeah. I do yeah. this and yeah. I hear so well with the Ray-Bans. Yeah. It's the I projector. I sit on the train like this. Yeah. The projector is what I want to try. I want to, I'm going to a concert Friday. I wish I had this so that during the concert, I could just hold my hand out and it just like <laughs> matrix displays. Are you going to a uh, concert that sucks? Is anyone else going to be there? No, I'm just, I just want to do it to get the reaction around me, you know? It's <laughs> like, like you're, you're, <laughs> Alex is in the pit. Just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just assume it's very bright. <laughs> I brought my own laser show. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> that would be actually be sick. Okay, here's the killer app for the Humane AI pin. Personal laser show. <laughs> oh, yeah. Imagine Coldplay, and instead of the, the bracelets they give you, it's just the pins. They all... They all yeah, this is a good time to know to your title Yuga account. Labs had a board ape NFT party, and they bought the wrong UV lights, and they burned everyone's eyes. <laughs> Maybe don't that. do the laser show thing. Just an idea. All right, we got to take a break. That's a true story, by the way. It's heartbreaking. Check your UV lights. Uh, we got to take a break. We'll be right back to talk about OpenAI Dev Day. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just visible. Switch today at visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see visible.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. All right, we're back. Less hardware this time, more software. But the future of software in a very exciting way. Alex, you went to OpenAI Dev Day this week. They announced a bunch of stuff. Take us through it. Yeah, so this was in downtown San Francisco Monday, and this was OpenAI's first big conference. And when I was going to it, like, realizing that ChatGPT is not even a year old at this point, like, blew my mind. And then you get there, and they have about a 1,000 developers there, and it just had this energy of—I'll get into the announcements, but I think it's important to, like, contextualize the energy. It felt like— the early Apple events. It felt like this buzz that, you know, we had that a little bit. I think, you know, David and Eli, you were there too for the Vision Pro unveiling. That had a, a, a special kind of feel because, you know, people had high hopes for Apple finally doing a big new thing. But like, this just felt like something I haven't experienced since like early Macworlds. Um, and you get in and 
I mean, they did a really nice keynote. It was about an hour and a half's worth of content packed into like a tight 45 minutes with like real live demos. Like there was a moment where they were showing off like a Zapier integration where you could like have a bot you make, you know, text someone or send them a Slack based on what you tell it. And like they're doing it on stage live. They're building the thing in like a minute. And then like it sends the ping to Sam and he's on the other side of the stage and he just holds his phone up and is like, yep, got it. Like, <laughs> like I, I really don't like the direction the industry is going thanks to Apple where it's these highly produced pre-recorded keynotes that are really just like becoming marketing videos. I think we saw that with the last Mac event especially. Mm-hmm. Um, so OpenAI, it felt like this return to form that was like, wow, this feels good. Um, in terms of what they announced, um, it was a lot. I mean, I think like the most immediate thing that the developers were like freaking out about and like Sam had to tell everyone to like stop clapping because they kept clapping over and over was just like making GPT cheaper to use as a developer. Mm-hmm. So it's like three times cheaper. They've got GTP4 Turbo, which um, apparently people really want larger context windows, which is the ability to upload more text tokens to these models and do more with them. So I think the limit was around like 20-ish K max before and now it's like 128 plus K uh, context window. So you could put a book in this thing and have it do all kinds of things. People got really excited about that. Um, and then a bunch of like kind of more developer focused stuff, right? It's a developer conference. The biggest thing though, was this new AI platform. I mean, really what OpenAI wants to become, and I wrote about this in, um, command line this week is the app store of AI. And so they've got this new GPT platform where with no coding required, you can build your own GPT, upload custom knowledge, and do a bunch of what is essentially like abstracting away prompt engineering, right? And making it very like tailored to a specific use case. And do all that in like honestly a matter of minutes. I got a live demo of one of these things being made and you can do it in under five minutes and then just publish it to the web. Eventually, uh, and when I say eventually, I think just in like a few weeks, OpenAI is going to have this store, the GPT store. And that's where things get really interesting, I think, because you're seeing OpenAI, not only is it becoming a a huge developer platform, an external platform that powers other things, they have over 2 million developers in under a year, which is just like wild, but they've got this massive growing consumer business. They have 100 million weekly users of ChatGPT, which is like for a product that is less than a year old is just absolutely insane. That means their monthlies are probably on the order of half a billion. And so what they're trying to do is, like, aggregate that audience and also become a consumer internet platform and and have people making GPTs, no coding required, that they then uh, surface to people through ChatGPT and through the store. And so the store is coming very soon, but they they showed a preview of it. And um, I think that's where things get really interesting. Is that $100 million, Is that GPT plus the paid thing or just that was just chat GPT users. They didn't give a plus number. Very important for the the custom GPTs. You have to be a plus subscriber to access Mm. and build the custom GPTs. So this is all feeding that loop of like OpenAI. I think the information reported they're already on like a one billion a year revenue run rate with the consumer subscription business. They really want to have more reasons to pay for chat GPT and and an app store and custom GPTs. And again, abstracting away all that prompt engineering, they think is going to be a, a key unlock there. So like some of the examples were like, and it's multimodal, so you can use Dolly. So it's like an interior design GPT that's like specifically for helping you figure out how to design your home or a uh, cooking one. Or, you know, theoretically here at The Verge, we could upload all Verge content ever made 
into a GPT, and it could replace search on our website. That's an idea, right? And OpenAI, which we should get into this uh, next, OpenAI will be compensating creators of these GPTs based on their usage, which I think is a very interesting uh, distinction from other platforms. I think two things that kind of – I read your piece and it was great. The two things that s- stuck out to me were, were, one, the compensation and how they're planning to do that because that seems like a whole mess. <laughs> yeah. And also just how quickly – he seemed to like gloss over the hallucination problem. Yeah, mm-hmm. just like any like normal You're releasing store. an enormous app You go into a Walmart or a Target, you're like, most lies. of these products are lying. Like an enormous <laughs> lying, enormous lies yeah, store, just basically. Like a store. Yeah. Well, yes, but the, the difference with the custom GPTs is you can upload custom knowledge. So, like, on stage, Sam made a bot, and he used to be the head of Y Combinator, the startup ex- uh, incubator, mm-hmm. and he was like, I have wanted to have a bot that just tells people what I would tell startup founders, the advice I would give them for like a decade. And he just built it on stage in like three minutes. And he uploaded transcripts of every talk he's given on these topics, right? So yes, the hallucin- it's still a problem. Like hallucination obviously is still a problem. And he talked about this more after the keynote in a press thing I went to. But um, the fact that you can augment it with custom knowledge uh, makes it more domain specific. And so it's hopefully going to alleviate a lot of that. Doesn't that kind of just make it like, I think the no-code part is probably the coolest part of this, but doesn't this just make it like no-code chatbots like you had on AIM 20 years ago? Like if you can upload, like for the the Sam Altman one in particular, okay, that's really, really cool. Somebody could have done that 20 years ago. It just would have taken them quite a bit of time and now it Right, but you'd have the sort of like Eliza problem. Right. Right, where it's like, there's some canned responses. Mm-hmm. This one is, like, going to talk to you. Like, I think the fidelity natural. of the conversation is higher. The thing that's really interesting to me is what you're saying, Alex, the compensation model. Yeah. yeah. So OpenAI is, what, 20 bucks a month for yeah, Plus? Ish, yeah, And then they're, they're probably going to, what, just share out some of that yeah. to the bot builders. That's the Spotify model, which is historically right. doesn't make anyone rich except Spotify. Well, uh, Spotify, important distinction, there's this whole thing called the labels, right, that OpenAI doesn't have to deal with because they don't pay for a lot of their content, which is something <laughs> that uh, Sam did not really want to talk about. Um, yeah. But, yes, I actually think it's closer to YouTube because the way they're going to do it in- initially is they're l- going to share some percentage. We don't know. We don't know if it's fixed. We don't know if it fluctuates based on the category. But they're going to share a percentage of the companies, so OpenAI's, Chat GPT subscription revenue with GPT creators. And it's based on usage. So, this, and, and Altman was very kind of high level about this on stage. I think they're going to share more in the next few weeks. But at this press QA I went to with after, uh, and I wrote about this in command line, he elaborated and said there's going to be category specific bonuses. Um, and that down the road, they're open to actually letting you subscribe directly to custom GPTs, letting GPT creators charge one off fees for them. Um, but it sounds like a lot of it is going to get figured out in like the first few months of the store. They're rolling out with this initial kind of yeah. mushy rev share thing, but it is YouTube-esque. It's not Apple-esque because there isn't going to be like a transactional piece to this. Right? Have they asked ChatGPT itself how it thinks it should handle the, the rev models? <laughs> I'm sure they have. I mean, well, no, so, uh, this uh, analogies are difficult because it's weird and it's mushy. Yeah, YouTube. My, most YouTubers are getting a cut of the ads, right? There's a right. sort of like infinite amount of money coming into YouTube or at least an uncapped amount of advertising money coming into YouTube and that goes out. Right. 
Spotify is like you pay Spotify premium, and I know my ever-increasing amount of money I pay for Spotify premium. I listen to a song. There's some formula, and that goes to the label and the artist, and it's pennies. And this feels more like that, right? I pay chat GPT 20 bucks a month. I go use a bunch of GPTs. My usage gets divvied up into fractions and goes to those creators. And that – they got – the reason I'm, I'm harping on this is – because of what David said earlier, which is the entire game is the app store for AI. And you cannot distribute this anywhere because the second you start doing a better revenue model, which is just pay for the apps or pay for a subscription or have transactions, Apple's going to sit there and take 30% away from you. Well, and Google yeah. is going to take 30% away from you. Apple already, so th- the Apple already is taking 30% of ChatGPT plus revenue on iOS, right? And I, because it's a subscription, well, if you it sign goes up on down. The phone. Right, if you sign yeah. up on the phone. So, yeah, and this is where I kind of like ended with command line this week is like, I would love to know what Apple thinks about all this because Apple, they don't like stores within apps. They, you know, like <laughs> you can ask Mark Zuckerberg about that one. You can ask a lot of people about that one, actually. A lot of people have tried versions of this. The only one that's gotten it through for reasons that are too complex to get into is WeChat in China. But I think they're going to run into a massive wall there eventually, which is Apple's take rate and their um, historical um, hatred of an app trying to recreate any kind of a digital store experience. And potentially having their own yeah. AI, right? Right. And wanting their own AI to be their primary AI in the device. Because once the AI is looking at books and just buying them for you, that's a whole other world of transactions that Apple can take money out of. And they're going to want to be the primary AI there. So it's uh, just to bring this together, you can see why people want to build a not phone. Hmm. Why Sam Altman is investing in 45 different attempts at this and might be working with Johnny Ive at some attempt at this. Mm-hmm. There's a massive blocker to mobile innovation here, which is that 30% cut. Mm-hmm. And I just don't have any sense of how anyone will actually get around it because building the humane AI pin or the rewind pendant or whatever Johnny Ive comes up with on the side, the phone is still going to be the primary device. Yeah. Well, the the other part of it is like this is – not all that different from what Amazon and Google were trying to do with skills for their voice assistant. Like, we've been down this road where Amazon was like, okay, you're going to interact with Alexa, but we're also going to offer you lots of ways to interact with other data and other services. Skills is going to be a huge business. That got past Apple. It was fine. Uh, It just turns out nobody wanted that because it has this heinous (laughs) discovery problem. The interface is actually not that good for it in most ways because, like, the thing where you have to essentially say a wake word to get to the thing and then another wake word to get to the app that you want and then talk to it in a very specific way all to route right back to you. Like that flow sucks. And so I think what ChatGPT is going to have to figure out is how to, like again, we're talking about abstracting all of this away. And by virtue of making you choose things, you lose that abstraction in a really helpful way. Like ChatGPT already has these plugins. Yeah, the so plugin system sucks. Those are replacing. It's a it's a yeah. perfectly useful thing. Right. But I think that is one way to go down that road that doesn't work because it it you can't find the stuff. You have to like turn it on every time you want to use it. It just doesn't work. And I think figuring out how to do this thing they're trying to do in a way that doesn't cause those exact same problems is going to be really hard, especially because OpenAI is trying to have its cake and eat it too because it yeah. also wants to be the interface to all of it. It does, like, yeah. It wants to be the underlying infrastructure and the most p- 
powerful, important product. And right. at some point, doing both of those becomes really, really, really hard to do. This is what Altman said uh, in the q and I was at after his keynote. Um, and I thought it was really interesting because it gets at that tension, David, that you talk about where OpenAI is building a platform very clearly. They're continuing to add things into ChatGPT, add different modalities, different data sets. At the same time, they're saying, come build on our platform. We'll share revenue with you. Come make your own GPTs, uh, et cetera. And uh, he got asked about this, and he said very clearly, he was like, don't build a thin wrapper on top of OpenAI. We are planning to build the obvious features that you would expect for a robust platform over time, and there's enormous value to build. So that's him just being straight up like, we will probably Sherlock you. Uh, yeah. And... And I'm I'm gonna see I see a lot of parallels here to the early yeah. app store. We're gonna build the app, and I think that's okay. Yeah. Like uh, you know, the early app store had a bunch of flashlight apps, right? Eventually, that just became a feature on the phone, and that's it was a it's a better feature as a result. You can go in the app store right now and download a home interior app that is a thin wrapper on Dolly. Like yeah, like we're we're painting our house, and I wanted an app that would just like put paint colors on the wall, and like half of them are now just Dolly right. wrappers. And they're b- bananas. Like, it's like, don't do this. Like, <laughs> I don't recommend them. Like, your house starts to look real wild after a minute. Um, but it's there's obviously a market for that thing to occur right now. And maybe one day OpenAI will build that exact thing because that's a useful case for Dolly. But in the meantime, like, they're just watching a bunch of these companies try and fail. And that's useful to them. Mm-hmm. And in the short term, useful to companies are making just... some money keep thinking about all the scummy apps that are going to come to this thing, right? Like, there's the obvious ones where I, as an adult, call it scummy. A lot of our younger listeners would probably love it. It's like one that will just write your papers for you, right? That's that's a thing ChatGPT can already do. Somebody will probably make a really, really good version of it using this. And a lot of people will probably be very upset about that and demand for it to be pulled down because it's helping a bunch of kids cheat. There's ones where, like, okay, you can have an, you know— input some actress that you really want to talk to. And then everybody's like, oh, yeah, I can go talk to that hot actress. And it's like, ooh, no. You can already do that, <laughs> Alex. I mean, yeah, there's yeah, like you can do replica yeah, but, character but AI. But that's going to happen now on yeah. open AI's yes. form, right? Like, they're, they're going to have to deal oh, with that. Oh, someone's going to build that GPT. Right. Sure. If you build a GPT of me, so it's over. So that is like— The law will, the law will come down. So, Neelai, like, <laughs> we are—we there's a lot of stuff on the internet that could, like, be used to inform a chatbot about us because we write on the internet. Like, that is a perfect example. Someone could just make a Neelai bot, and it's everything Neelai's written on The Verge, and you ask Neelai questions about copyright, you know, forever, right? Yeah, and, and, and the Neelai bot is like, this is copyright infringement. But you— <laughs> but be clear Well, we should— what's happening. I want to—this is a little bit of a tangent, but, yeah. like, they— Another thing OpenAI announced this week is a copyright shield, which is a program where they will— pay for any legal fees incurred by their developers for copyright claims of use of the technology. Oh. So theoretically, someone builds a Neelai bot, they scrape the verge for all Neelai's stories, they put it in the bot, Vox Media goes, hey, you stole our IP and you're making money off of this because OpenAI is paying you, we're going to sue you. And OpenAI is saying now we will fight all those legal uh, yeah, f- legal things that happen. So, like, I, what do you think about that, Neilai? That's a bad answer yes. to this problem. We should all just like. I just want to acknowledge that is a bad answer to oh, yeah. this. That's problem. how yeah. OpenAI goes like, bankrupt, real fast. <laughs> well, that's, well, well yeah. no, there are also there are so many interesting 
ways of thinking about this content. Like, Alex, your paper example is a really interesting one because, like, you put together all the announcements that came out this week. And what's going to happen now is you're going to be able to upload your history textbook to a GPT and you're going to be able to write papers from it. That is that it it now has the a big enough context window and it like they're, they're using this thing. It's it's like the AI term for it is rag, which is basically like by doing this custom knowledge, you're able to reduce it all the way down just to the stuff that you know that it knows, which means it hallucinates less, which is actually a really important part of this. Mm-hmm. It's going to write you a good paper based on your history textbook. And that is just, it's all sitting there. And that's a mess in so many ways. And for OpenAI to just be like, don't worry about it. We have lawyers is not a good answer to the problem. So Sam was Sam's exact wording on this issue was, we don't like to do things that are illegal. Congrats, like, Sam. Cool, cool yeah. Sam. Same, Sam. Same. But like... I mean, they clearly think all this is under fair use. And there's a lot, you know, you all have talked about on the show a lot of, you know, there's a lot of lawsuits right now that is try- that are trying to, you know, they are going to figure this out, whether this is fair use. This is happening while all this is going on. It's a very- Can I color that in for you? Yeah. So the Copyright Office took comments about whether it's fair use. And all the big companies filed comments. Oh, yeah, that's good. we have some of them on the site. And the one that just stuck out was Andreessen Horowitz, big Silicon Valley firm. Their comment was, look, companies have invested billions and billions of dollars into this technology, assuming it's fair use. So it's fair use. No, I mean, they were clear. They were like, if this is not fair use, like, these investments go to zero, basically. It was like it was like yeah. the whole the whole structure of all this is predicated <laughs> on the idea that we can have this for free. Yeah. I know a lot of media executives. Uh, they don't agree with that view. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> yeah. But not, not a little bit. We had Barack Obama on Decoder this week. I asked him this question, like, you're an author. Do you think this is fair use? Because he really wants to talk about AI. And he, he was like, he's a politician. He's very good at this. He's like, leave me out of it. <laughs> I've sold enough books. Like, you watch him do it. He's like, no, 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 no. I refuse to engage this question. And then he said... This is a speed bump. The revenue will get figured out. And so I think there's a real tension in the industry. There's an expectation from the people who make the IP that this is, yep, a speed bump, that the money will sort itself out, the creators will get paid, and there's the expectation from the tech industry that they're going to get to do a Google and just take it. And, like, Google's history is built on taking it, and they were the scrappy upstart when they did that. When Google scraped all the books on the internet and made Google Books, they got sued, but they showed up with their like big colorful logo and their propeller hats. <laughs> Literally, that image of Google protected it from these lawsuits. When Viacom sued Google over YouTube for just ingesting huge amounts of Viacom uh, television shows onto YouTube, YouTube was like, but it's so cool. Like, everyone loves it. You could just watch South Park for free. And Viacom was like, yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> they won. And they won running away because Viacom was perceived as evil. And Google, again, stupid logo, slides in the office, beanie hat. And it was really useful. That's part of the story. The rest of the story is that uh, Google had a reasonable defense, which was to say, we're not the ones uploading it. And it turns out there's like a large part of tech policy that is based on that specific idea. No, they, they, I mean, their other defense was, and we built you content ID. We built you a private copyright enforcement system that is unaccountable to everyone and pisses everybody off every day, right? That's the actual, that's the thing that they did to get out of that jam. Google got so much out of this in a lot of ways by returning value to people. Like 
Google made the case to Viacom that more people are watching Viacom stuff because they're finding it on YouTube. And whether that's true or not, it's a case to make. And it's it's done the same thing with websites, right? Like there have been all these issues for years about like media organizations being like, how are we supposed to feel about the fact that there is a constantly updated version of our entire website sitting on Google servers? And that's what they're crawling and serving, not our website. And what Google says is we send you traffic. And yep. there's like, there is some set of trades that you're willing to make there. And ChatGPT so far has not returned any value to the people whose stuff that it is taking. It's not directing traffic. They're not getting money. It's just like a nifty thing that other people get to do. And I think without, if it can't figure out how to make that turn back to like, here is what it's worth for you. I think it's much bigger than a speed bump. Yeah, no, it will bring the whole thing down. Like it is the end of the industry if this isn't fair use. And the the thing for all of these companies is you cannot rely on the court system to be reliable when it comes to fair use. Right. Like it is not a stable decision-making framework. It is a coin flip. Like every time. It is a coin flip even in just like recent memory. Like I bring up this example all the time, but I'll do it again because it's useful. Uh, the estate of Marvin Gaye was not happy. <laughs> it. No, it just Drink. comes up. Drink. Somebody owes uh, me $10. I'm just telling you, blur, the Blurred Lines case is going to go down as like the thing that upends maybe all of technology. It did bring us Emily Ratajkowski. <laughs> Many things happened because of this song. They, Robin Thicke and Farrell, sued Marvin Gaye's estate preemptively because they thought it was so clear cut. They hadn't stolen a note. It was just a vibe. And they lost. That is a totally unpredictable result. And then the estate of Marvin Gaye emboldened goes and sues Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran shows up in court, all floppy hair, and says, oh, just the music. And he wins. And he actually took the court. He chords. played guitar in Incredible court. That was the Incredible Ed Sheeran impression, yeah. by the way. <laughs> you could use some accent work, but yeah, it was, it was all right. He's just a floppy guy. He's just a floppy guy. Uh, but that is a straight coin flip. If I gave you the facts of that outside of the actual characters and said these two didn't take any of the chords or the music, they took a vibe, and this guy took the actual chords, who who should win, who should lose, right? And it's the exact opposite of what you expect. And if you are OpenAI or Google or any, any one of these other folks, you're staring at a problem where it is so unpredictable that you should go and make some deals just to bring some semblance of order to this marketplace. But to what David's point is, no one knows what that deal is worth. The second you make one deal, everyone else is going to want a deal. The second you make a deal, you have communicated to the world, you think deals might be necessary, and everyone shows up with their hands out. Like, this is classic, like, rock in a hard place situation for all these companies. And if they end up going to court and fighting this out, no one knows if they're going to get to the right answer on either side. A couple weeks ago on Decoder, we had a record label executive, and she said, look, the music industry is like this. You sue each other in the morning, and you go to dinner at night, <laughs> and that's how it works, and like, you're just going to have to deal with it, and they're going to have to get good at that too because that's how we, that's how we do this, and I, I don't think Sam is ready for that. They are not thinking about it at all. It didn't come up on like the stage. It didn't really come up afterwards in the conversations I was hearing. They're very focused on... What is the value we can give to developers and users? And the data that is powering all of this is like something they do not want to talk about because of what we've all been saying. But I mean, I, I do want to just like if to take devil's advocate here. Like, yes, like there's a huge copyright question here. Generally, I feel like with these new things, the Viacom YouTube example is a great example where 
better product experiences tend to win in the long run, right? So, and if I'm thinking about a GPT for The Verge, unless I'm in kind of like discovery mode where I just want to literally, you know, surf our beautiful site and look at things and I have no idea what I'm wanting, um, I actually would love the idea of just going, what should I know about the new iPhone? Is it good or not? And a bot just it surfaces our article. It tells me it says this is this is the score. This is the history of our coverage. Here's a link to the video, or just watch the video there. Like that's a pretty good experience. There's there's a lot of like finding things on the internet that like that time collapses immediately when you're using an interface like this. And that's going to, I think, provide value. Yeah. And so if you believe that that's valuable, and I think a lot of people will, and I think we're going to start seeing a lot of really interesting GPTs that are doing very dubious, you know, fair use things, but are showing like, hey, this interface is actually better for just finding information. I do think that idea may win out in the long run, regardless of what happens in the short term with the legal system. It just feels like they're moving way too fast. They are. Like, yeah. between the lying thing and the fact that they haven't figured out whether or not they're wholesale ripping off a whole bunch of creators, like, what are you doing? What do you, you mean ripping off? These... What do you mean? What we just talked about. Like, like the payout structure? A lot of people, yeah, a lot of people straight up accuse them of if – they're, if they're ingesting their stuff without paying them, mm-hmm. they're, they're, that's ripping them off. Oh, well, here, I'll just give yeah. you – let yeah. me give you just another example of this. Outside of ChatGPT, mm-hmm. I think about this with TikTok all the time. I keep a list of TikToks that I think should be media PhDs. It's great. One day I'll publish the whole list. Uh, and there's one I keep coming back to. Uh, Haggerty Media, which is a great car YouTube channel. I love it. They did a stop motion video of an engine being disassembled. Cool. This this took forever. Like just dis- making a video of an engine being disassembled, such that anyone can understand what's happening, takes a long time with people. To do it in stop motion is like a map, just obviously massive investment. Mm-hmm. And so it, it instantly got cut up into ten thousand different TikTok channels that repost it into ten thousand different clips because it it looks cool as hell. And if you're running one of these TikTok channels, you're just trying to get views so you can like. Send people to your TikTok shop. This is great. Should that should any of that exist? Media PhD. Okay, here's the real thing that I think about all the time. The comments on all of the TikToks that have freebooted this video are, this took so long. This must have been so hard to do. This is so cool. I'm so glad you spent all this time doing this. And it's like, not, like everyone can see the value and the difficulty of the work. And no one... Not not a cent of that value is going back to the person that made the video. Right. And no like no one's confused that this was like a hard thing to do. TikTok is making the most money in that. The freebooting channel is making some money in that. The users are getting a ton of value, right? Because they're seeing a video they wouldn't have ever seen. And the poor person who like had to move the bolt <laughs> like a sixteenth of an inch and then take another frame gets nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, I keep thinking, like, I came up as a guy who, when I was my short stint as a lawyer, I defended the kids who used Kazaa. And I'm sitting here being like, am I the bad guy now? <laughs> like, what is going on here? Like, that's, like, two, one step too far. And that's just with video and everybody can understand, everyone can see it. If you make a GPT and you ingest all of some YouTube creator's videos and you're like, now nah, you can talk to Doug DeMiro and he doesn't get a cent. Like, at some point, you have to say, this is not, like, fair. Oh, it's not even— like, that not the, fair use or whatever. Just, right. like, it's this not is just, like, outrageous. It's not even that the creator doesn't get a cent. It's that, in that case, YouTube doesn't get a cent. And guess who has a lot of lawyers who is comfortable suing is Google, right? So, like, yeah. 
I think OpenAI is entering a world of hurt here. Like I saw, again, I got a demo of the builder and you would think that the ability to upload custom knowledge, they would have some pretty stringent guidelines on what you can upload and maybe they scan it before they let you put it in the GPT to make sure it's, you know, not something that is like very blatantly like paid copyrighted material that is like behind a paywall or something like that. Yeah, It's literally just an upload field. It's just an upload field. You can upload anything. Like there, there was no nothing said about like how they're going to look for this stuff. So I, I don't think they're ready for what's about to happen, which is that like someone is going to be. I, I, it's just obvious. Like you, like you take a paid product online, you pay for it, you scrape it, you put it into into a GPT, and you make money from it. And it's like in that f- flow of events, like the value is just being stolen, right? And like. And OpenAI is saying at the same time, guess what? We're going to pay all your legal defenses. <laughs> yeah. It's just wild. We should just get OpenAI sued. That's the new <laughs> they're already, Well, they're being sued. They're being, I mean, Screw they're being. The, the, look, I'm throwing out my wearable graph. <laughs> the next episode is us, just us doing dubious things to get OpenAI sued. Um, no, wait, wait, they are getting sued by artists like Sarah Silver and all these people. Yeah. But this next turn where they're offering revenue to people to build things yeah. and then protecting them from the claims. I'm going to make a bot that adjusts all of the Game of Thrones books and writes the final two. I think George R.R. Martin would, at this point would just pay yeah, you for he, that. Yeah, yeah I, like that. That's 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 my loophole. He's going to he should just do that. He, that's my George, loophole. George, if you're listening and I know you are. I got you, George. You can you can do it. It's they've they've expanded the field. I, I, the context <laughs> window is bigger, George. <laughs> I, I I do think this is like a huge problem, but I do want to acknowledge like these GPTs they're they're cool. They're going to be cool. They're cool as hell. People yeah. are going to like using them. The the Dolly stuff is wild. Like just having like something that can like generate. Yeah. And like I have this problem. I don't know about you guys with these these chatbots. These like all in one chatbots is like it's just a it's just a text bar. I don't know what to do with it. I don't know all the mm. things it can do. There's this context problem with these bots. That, like Bard and all these where they can do so much that like it's overwhelming, frankly, for me. So having like a cooking bot that has like all the cooking information I would want to like make recipes, I would pay separately for that because like I actually just want that. I don't want the all of it, right? And so I, I do think it's a really powerful idea and Meta's doing it. They're gonna have a bot creation platform next year. There's already character AI, replica. The industry seems this year to have realized that we are moving on from these like one bot to rule them all concept to like millions of bots everywhere, right? Yeah. And that's a that's a cool idea. It's just um yeah, there's all this like copyright problem. But I think as an idea, it's 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 <laughs> there's just existential risk yeah. to the center of it all. <laughs> the the actually the model thing is really interesting. Um uh they had Sachin Adela on stage, Microsoft there, obviously huge open AI investor. Yeah. And part of the argument that they're making is they're all just using one big model, but they're learning to segment it into these use cases. Right. So the big model is getting better overall right. while people are doing these specialized things with it. And then on the side, Microsoft Research is trying to figure out if you can take small models that could run locally or on these other places and make them fully useful in like very narrow contexts. So you see this like kind of parallel innovation pathway where like the big model, maybe you can put guardrails around it and make these GPTs. Or you could have like the little model that's just good at what it does. And there's something, and the funniest thing about the, I think the little model training Microsoft is doing is one of the prompts they give it is pretend you're the big model, <laughs> which is incredible, yeah. right? It's like, don't, uh, it, it's not impossible. <laughs> like, it's like that thing, you know? Uh, it's pretty good. Um, 
it's funny that we've had this whole conversation about voice assistants and, and AI and all this stuff. And it's like, we've brought up Amazon and Google many times, which have voice assistants, millions of them deployed in homes today and seem not ready for this next turn at all. OpenAI is moving so fast. And that was just the takeaway from being there and like talking to developers there. And just, I mean, when you think about the fact that ChatGPT is almost a year old and everything they've done in a year and everything they just announced on stage and like the demand for it, like there was a massive ChatGPT outage this week right after they announced all this stuff. Like their servers are melting. So they have clearly like captured lightning in a bottle. It's their game to lose. I really feel that. It's just a matter of, the legal ramifications potentially catching up with them and the diciness of this store concept. And like, if you're doing a usage-based system, what's to keep me from buying a bunch of bots to use my bot so that I have the most used bot? Like, how do they know that it's actually real? I guess because it's through the subscription business. But So I guess that is a good limiting factor on that. But um, there's just a lot of like dicey, like who decide? Like I'm already imagining like ChatGPT is used to like uh, influence the next election, and they decide to demonetize news. Right? It's like everything yeah. old is new <laughs> again. Right? Like yeah. Uh, well, that's no, like what is what's going to be the cocoa melon of ChatGPT? <laughs> that's on the good side, right? That's like the biggest YouTube success story ever. Yeah. Um, enough so that Disney has listed it not owning cocoa melon as like a risk. Yeah. Because it, it and that's just a YouTube success story, and it's like on the other side is like, what is the horrible white noise playlist on Spotify? Yeah, app right that is just like zero value delivered and just sucking money out of the ecosystem, and until Spotify has to shut it down. Yeah, I don't know. And like, the, the, yes, and and the next turn here really, and this is what Sam was telling us after the keynote is. He imagines that we will all have our own GPT, which I'm really excited about. So a GPT that is trained on all of your stuff, like a, the rewind idea, the pendant, but like yeah. all of your software, all of your you know notes, and your GPT engages with other GPTs on your behalf. So it's like bots on bots all the way down <laughs> talking to each other. So it's yeah. like you tell your GPT, I want to go to see a concert and have dinner with these friends on this date, line up my ride, my reservation, the tickets, and it all talks to different bots to do that. Sam thinks that's inevitable. And what really, so OpenAI's stated mission is to build AGI, right? Artificial general intelligence, which is this like super, it's like godlike AI that can think better than all of us can Combined. People in the AI field that I've talked to over the last year think that this next step where it's GPTs representing us engaging on our behalf uh, unsupervised is the environment that is needed to train the models to become a step function even more intelligent because you need to have this concept called self-supervised learning where these agents are all interacting and training on their own. That's pretty freaky, right? That's like matrix stuff. Yeah. That's coming in like the next couple of years. I, I think the world could look a lot different. It's just, we're, it, it, I think that, and that was the vibe there was like, we are kind of witnessing a very, very, very exciting, but also like very scary next <laughs> few years here. Yeah. <laughs> and inside of it, is a copyright lawsuit. It's a giant ticking time bomb. It's just Ed Sheeran looking mad at you. All right, we got to take a break. We'll come back. We got a lightning round. We got to get out of here. We'll be right back. We're back. There's quite a lot in this lightning round, but we got to go fast. Kranz, why don't you start? Because you got. Yeah, I think you have the best one. I do have the best one. There's a new Steam Deck. Uh, Sean Hollister has reviewed it. 
He naturally loves it. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think I called him like the day after he got it, and I was like, "Tell me everything," and he sure did. <laughs> um, he like he really likes it. The, the big things that have changed with this one is there's a new processor. They went from the seven nanometer Aerith processor, named after the character from Final Fantasy VII, to the six nanometer Sephiroth processor. <laughs> Sames. Um, they, they've, they've, they've switched to an OLED display. They've switched. Uh, they, they've, the battery life has supposedly increased, which led to an incredible quote from, from Sean, where he said, For example, in 2022, I was able to play the graphically intensive control for just under two hours on my original Steam Deck review unit at 60 frames per second. This week, I played the same game at up to 80 frames per second for two hours and 11 minutes. Um, I mean, more frames. Yeah, yeah. You saw more frames. He does does add more stuff to it. It it is a pretty measurably different, big difference in battery life, especially on games that don't use as much of the the CPU and the GPU. So, like, those those lower impact games are going to last a lot, lot longer. The high impact games, those of us who are making our way through Baldur's Gate 3 on the thing, we're not going to see as much success. Uh, the big shock for me was that there are no Hall Effect joysticks. I just assumed that was going to happen because there's been so much frustration with the drift on the current joysticks. Yeah. They didn't do that. That's a big bummer. But uh, they got rid of the 32 gigabyte EEMC version, which was the one that I bought because you could replace the drive really cheap and easy. They got rid of that one. Now starts at 550 or 549. I'm resisting buying one, but Sean loves it. Oh, and the power button's now orange. Hey, that's pretty good. I love it. Yeah, I'm excited. I would put this out as evidence, as we've been saying. There's more action in gadgets than people ever give any credit to, and the love that our audience, and in particular Sean, has for the Steam Deck is, like, off the charts. It's it's an awesome device, and they don't have to do a bunch of really long infomercials for, for <laughs> us to get hyped about it. Yeah, you're like, look, you can play Control at 80 frames per second for 11 minutes more. Yeah. That's all you got to say. Oh, yeah. I just love this thing. They just they were just like, what are all the things we can do to make this device better? And then they just yes. did all those things, and now here we are. Like, God forbid more companies don't just, like, make their things right? better all just- the time. Like. It's it's just it's just makes me happy. And it was the same thing with the Switch OLED where they're like, we got this thing pretty right the first time, but what if we just did a couple of things better? Wouldn't that be cool? And yeah. everybody's like, yes. But it's like most companies are like, okay, this is called the Steam Deck 2, and this time it comes in six <laughs> pieces and you have to like do backflips while you use it. It's going to be so dope. And it, and and Valve instead is just like, no, we like pretty much got this right. We just yeah. made it better now. It's cool. It's like, yeah, it's got- that's the way. Just make your things better. I, yeah, I'm. That's all you need to do. I just really appreciate that one of the headline features of this one is that the fan is both larger and quieter, which is like crushed it, guys. <laughs> no like, more fan wise. This is some video game stuff yeah. here. Nailed we did it. it. Um, I would know that, but I've been trying to scroll this article using Samsung Dex, uh, <laughs> which is not possible. <laughs> I didn't realize you were actively scrolling. I thought you were doing. I always do the thing where I like fidget and scroll up and down. No, you're just trying no, to I'm read it. No, I'm just trying you... to land on a sentence that I can read because this mouse is. Set Are you so just fast. flying top to bottom on the table? Right out of control. Love it. And look, Android is many things as an operating system, and Samsung's One UI is many things as a skin on Android. A combination of things that is designed to let you change mouse tracking speed is not 
on the list of priorities for either of those com- companies. <laughs> All right, David, what is your lightning round? Uh, mine's very simple. It's just that uh, YouTube, in its relentless quest to be TikTok, is now adding a for you page to or a for you carousel to people's channels, which is basically like personalized recommended videos on people's channels that you land on. A, very smart. B, forever interesting to me that the phrase for you has just completely taken over the internet. Like we've just decided that that is the term for every personalized everything. For you, just one. Uh, And also, YouTube really ought to stop trying to be TikTok. Like just stop. Oh my gosh. I think everything is inevitably going to be TikTok. But I... I opened Oof. my YouTube mobile app to the shorts thing and it was just it was a it was little tiles of shorts filling my entire screen when I opened my YouTube mm-hmm. app on my phone like no no <laughs> I still sometimes accidentally scroll it forgetting I'm not in TikTok Oh yeah that's it's incredible That and Instagram I'm like oh that's why it's kind of crummy and weird Yeah it's um it's like watching the algorithms grow up <laughs> like there are different stages of being toddlers Mm-hmm. And like TikTok is like running away with the election, you know. Um, but it, it, like YouTube is just like, is this anything? Will this make you mad? Will it make you sad? Horny? Yeah. You know, Instagram is like, here's a Kardashian. You know, like back to basics. Yeah. At least in my feed, they figured out that I like truck jumps. Mm-hmm. A lot of truck jumps on my Instagram. Like you know, it's like getting better. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I engage with it more, and then TikTok is just like full crazy. I I screwed up on TikTok the other day, and I thought I had broken my algorithm because it just kept showing me bagpipe videos. No, that's what I mean. TikTok is now at the point where it's in the deepest, darkest recesses of your personality. Oh, yeah. yeah. If you've been scrolling it for years and years. It's horrible. It's it's like beyond truck jumps. It's like deep fried truck memes that like I can't explain to anyone else. <laughs> There's a video I keep seeing of like a motorized pizza peel that just picks up a pizza okay, but and puts it back down. Cool. It's it was bagpipes. <laughs> I'm saying it's telling you more about yourself than you need to know. I never. It's in there. It's in there. Five-year-old Alex thought they were cool. (laughs) I left it at five. (laughs) Leave me alone. TikTok has the reset algorithm button, and I think about hitting it all the time. Oh, my God. I should hit it. Mm. I I think I have to at this point. We should all hit it. Here's my pitch for this whole thing. I've now watched more, again, we've had a lot of copyright law on the show, but I've watched more movies on TikTok recently than anything. And all of these video streaming platforms are trying to get you to engage again. And it's like, Netflix, just make make the TikTok. Yeah. Just show me. Just like, let me scroll through it. And I'm like, oh, man, d- yeah, I'll start Couples Retreat in the middle of it for some reason. And then that'll play on my TV and we'll be done. Yeah. And like, A, I absolutely 100% guarantee you that's yeah. coming. Like, there is not one shadow of a doubt in my mind that at some point in the very near future, the Netflix mobile app will have that thing for you. But I also think part of the reason I I picked this one as my lightning round thing is because it's just like, I've gotten totally obsessed with the idea that scrolling is just like the the behavior. And it doesn't matter what you're scrolling. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It's just like people want to scroll. You just like have a moment where you're like, I'm going to get on my phone and just do some scrolling. (laughs) It's just like a thing people talk about. And the activity is so much more important than what you're doing it with. But it's just like, I I now think about that all the time. It's just like, that is a mode of engaging with technology is I'm just going to scroll. And I think the more that becomes the thing, especially as young people are trained on that as like, I have five minutes, I'm going to do some scrolling. I just, like, I hear more people say that. And you're going to see it absolutely everywhere. And it is going to, like, completely change the internet because it's, like, instead of I'm going to go, like, look at Reddit or whatever, it's just, like, I'm just going to do some scrolling. 
And it's just the for you feed of scrolls everywhere. Yeah. It's nuts. And it's just a bunch of algorithms starting at the very beginning of like personalities, like angry, sad, hungry, horny, and then all the way to bagpipes. No. <laughs> like yeah. Whatever complex. I would love to see the database field of like bagpipe emotional reactions that TikTok thinks it's getting when it gets a bagpipe engagement. You know, like Netflix has those like deeply overconstructed movie categories. Yeah. Like, it was all because I liked a Friends uh-huh. video, yeah. and for some reason it was like, I know which part of that we need to pull out for you. Bagpipes. <laughs> telling you. One of the things I love about these conversations is it's always just people telling on themselves yep. about the stuff that they watch on social media. It's so fun. <laughs> You're like, aren't you also on bagpipe TikTok? And it's like, no, no one else there is on bagpipe TikTok. There are a lot just, of people on bagpipe you. TikTok, <laughs> including me now. All right, here's mine. Uh, great piece by Jen Tui this week. Um, if you're a smart home nerd, this really hits you. Uh, there's a company called Chamberlain makes all the garage door openers. Like if you buy a house, the chance that you have a lift master garage door opener made by Chamberlain, very, very high. They like many bad companies, uh, have smart devices. So you can make the, you can make the garage door opener smart. They have a proprietary platform called MyQ, which is long since a disaster. MyQ is monetized through partnerships with car companies. So you've got a car with like a Wi-Fi connection in it. You can like push the button, cloud service happens, your garage door opens, whatever, man. Many, many, many people have hacked into MyQ with HomeBridge and Home Assistant, which are really cool things. It's very nerdy. But you can have a little Tamagotchi of a Raspberry Pi in your house that you have to reset every couple months, and it, it bridges all the things together into HomeKit. That's my HomeBridge. Like my Ring camera show up in HomeKit because of HomeBridge. MyQ showed up in HomeKit for a lot of people because of HomeBridge. MyQ shut off this integration. Not cool. They claim that they're getting DDoS through it, which is like you could have a real integration with HomeKit and everyone shut up. You wouldn't get DDoSed. So they, and this is the part that just rankles. They explain their decision by saying, we've made the decision to prevent unauthorized usage of the MyQ ecosystem through third-party apps. It's so that we can continue to provide the best possible experience for our 10 million plus users. We understand this impacts a small percentage of users, but ultimately this will improve the performance and reliability of MyQ benefiting all of our users. That is the cleanest garage I've ever seen. Yeah, the picture here. Um, so they said this is 2% of people. Uh-huh. So Jen just did the math. You've got 10 million users. You've, you've broken 200,000 garage doors. <laughs> 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 Which is just incredible. So now they're freaking out. I will tell you, MyQ has always been a disaster. They've always been pretty user hostile. This is not a secret. It's just what people have. And no one thinks about replacing the garage door opener. So everyone's been hacking around it. You can buy little adapters. I have one called Miros. Mm-hmm. I think the refurbished ones are called Refoss. It's very confusing. Uh, they're like so anywhere between 30 and 50 bucks, depending on sale. You can just wire them into your garage door opener and put them in HomeKit. They work. There's other ones. Jen has a whole list of other alternatives. If you are the sort of person who wants to open your garage door from your phone, and I am that sort of person. You are. There are many ways to do this that do not involve the MyQ platform. And our article has irritated them so much that they are issuing corrections and they are trying to explain their decision even more when all they need to do is just either build the HomeKit integration or let the people do the hacks. Yeah. Just like say, okay, Home Assistant's fine. I love it when companies are like, it's a tiny percentage of users. And they're like, you just broke 200,000 garage doors. <laughs> <laughs> Only 200. Only 200K. All right. 
Alex, you got a lightning round? Yeah, it's actually a thing I've been trying. I've been test driving a Rivian R1S for the last week. Um, yeah. So RJ, the CEO, is at Code, and um, this is not a an ad by any means, but uh, I have had fun in it a lot. We took it off-roading in Joshua Tree, and um, a, an electric – is my first time in an electric, like, SUV – and uh, the thinking goes zero to 60 in three seconds and has, like, <laughs> 840 ho- horsepower. And uh, it's just, like, driving a big-ass go-kart through the desert. That, yeah. Like, it cool. was just – and I like the – I mean, just a lot of the small decisions they've made in terms of the, you know, the OS and the the interior of the car. Um, the moment they do a mid-sized one of these, I think it's going to be a really compelling Tesla alternative. But right now, it's very like outdoorsy, you know, big, big hulking vehicles. But yeah, had a lot of next up Cybertruck for you. That's uh, the, yeah. I've heard, uh, yeah, I've heard the Rivian described as the I sh- I can't say it on our air, but the a version of the Cybertruck that uh, for people who yeah uh, I I, I, um, I, I, I right. yeah anyway. <laughs> okay, can I say my Cybertruck thing? So I asked for pictures of the wiper and mm-hmm. they've been lots of cyber trucks everywhere and people keep sending me not close-ups they're just like here's away. another video of the wiper and it's like you're six miles away mm. so i'm going to be more specific i need a close-up of the middle of the wiper mm. the middle not the not the arm not the part at the bottom of the windshield that turns the middle of the wiper blade or even better close-ups all the way up the wiper like connecting to the glass yes. and i'll be more specific I have heard rumors of how the actual blade is constructed that I would like to verify. <laughs> I will not tell you what they are. Please. Because I don't want to put disinformation in the world. And mm. I know the Tesla people are crazy. <laughs> and I don't, wanna, I don't want clips of me saying a thing that's wrong. I'm just saying I've heard some information that I cannot verify about the wiper blade itself. Mm-hmm. So if you encounter one, just go look at the blade. T- take some pictures. Start at the bottom. Click, click, Boop. click, click, click all the way at the top. See if you notice anything. A thing about the Rivian wipers, they work, and there's two of them. <laughs> I was about to say, they, I heard a plural there. Yeah, there's two yeah, of them. Two. They cover the entire windshield, and they work. The only thing I don't like is there's not the cleaner fluid. Boring. Right? Like, you mm. can't, like, wh- why are we making new cars that cost a lot of money that don't have— Wait, It the, doesn't have windshield washers? It doesn't have the washer fluid. I'm like, I'm driving Ew. this thing through the desert. I Wait, need, it's empty, or it just doesn't it, have it? It doesn't exist. No. You guys, we cannot pick the windshield wiper fight again. We can't. We've been we've been down this road before. Neil is about to say, just put water in it, it'll be fine. <laughs> no, and we're gonna get emails I'm saying again. It there's, 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 no tank. there's no tank. He's saying they've obviated the entire yes. problem. <laughs> it's bizarre. Someone asked me if I was gonna ask Obama what windshield washer fluid uses. <laughs> <laughs> we have picked a lot of dumb battles on the show, and this is easily the dumbest. And do not just put water in your special food. Anyway. Neelai, the one thing I did want to ask you about Obama was how was the Secret Service? Uh, So this was our second round with him. And we were in his offices. So they were chill. Okay. Um, The first round. Did you get a pat down? I did not. We we were already all cleared from before. Um, So when we were at Harvard, there was like intense security. And the other protests that day because he was speaking. We're on a college campus. Uh, There were dogs like the whole thing happened uh we hung out with the dogs and we found out he wasn't gonna be there so then we it was cool the dogs are cool um they're very friendly the at his offices we had already been pre-screened and we were on his home turf so there was there was a there was a presence he doesn't not have a presence uh and there was some discussion about whether the blinds could be open or closed and, the, and whatever but it was it was very chill because we were in his space as opposed to when you're not in his just moving him around is a 
complicated affair, I would imagine. is what we have discovered. Yeah. yeah. Can't um, go to Cinnabon. Can I actually can I tell you my one Obama behind the scenes story and we can we can end this episode? Um to in that episode, we talk a lot about free speech on the internet and regulating free speech. And one of the things that's really hard to do is like you need some constitutional authority to go ahead and regulate speech. Mm-hmm. So the one that came up in the episode is the FCC has some authority over broadcast stations, right? So you swear on ABC or CBS or NBC, people can file complaints to the FCC, the FCC can find them because you're using the public airwaves. This is like a real thing. So like radio stations and broadcast TV, there's some basis for the FCC to regulate the content in there. Yeah. And that is wax and wait. This doesn't exist for cable TV, which is why HBO can exist, why cable news is like off the rails, why I can just swear at will on the internet on the show, right? The government has basically no authority because there's no public airwaves. So I ask Obama this question it's in the episode. He's like, hey, you just need some hook. So then we get up and we take a group photo because he's an excellent politician and he knows that you should take a group photo so everyone's like happy. And I did the least journalistic thing in my life, which I took a video of him saying hi to Max, which Again, I'm just admitting to you, disclosure, the least journalistic thing I've ever did in my life, but my daughter has a video of Obama saying hi to her, which— That's awesome. You can't get that Um, on Cameo. Yeah. Yeah, it's, like, hard. Um, And then he's leaving, uh, and I was like, that—this, like, thing, like, this feels like the problem to me. Like, everyone wants to do this. Everyone wants to issue some speech regulation, but you got to get over this problem. And he looked at me and goes, yeah, you just need a hook. You just got to figure it out. We'll figure it out. And he, like, walked out of the room. And I was like, (laughs) oh, you used to be the most powerful person in the world. Like, <laughs> your brain is just like, this problem should be solved. Like, figure it out. Yeah. And it was like Kate Cox, uh, the Dakota producer, and I both, our minds were just blown. <laughs> because that's just like not, I don't have the ability to just like order someone to solve a constitutional law problem. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, just, I don't know, shut up. <laughs> and <he> just like <laughs> left. Just delegate. <laughs> Oh, it was and it was just like you don't have that experience very often. Yeah, the charisma too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it yeah. was a lot. Um, anyhow, that's it. That's a very chest. Please, if you see a cyber truck, just all the way up the wiper stock. I'm telling you, there's something there. I don't know what it is, but people tell me there's something there I should look at. And make the Neli wearable index GPT. Yeah, the graph. The we graph. need the graph. Yeah, I'm telling you. The Vision Pro, the whole Vision Pro review is just going to be me doing math. But but I want it to be an input. I want it to be a GPT where you can say, is this thing, how does this fit into Neelai's graph of wearable awesomeness? Right. Fiddliness times face has to be less than or equal to usefulness. That's the whole equation. You just figure that out for me. All right. That's it. Thanks, everybody. That's Rich Hester. Black and And that's a wrap for VergeCast this week. Hey, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 866-VERGE-11. The VergeCast is a production of The Verge and Vox Media Podcast Network. The show is produced by Andrew Marino and Liam James. This episode was mixed and edited by Xander Adams. And that's it. We'll see you next week. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. 
Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com.